0: Everybody's scared of robots, and AI is a new thing, yeah, right? Yeah, that's another subject. I'm replacing
1: Nick with AI pretty soon. <laughs> I'm working on it. Jason, what's up, man? What's up, Nick? Take a guess.
2: How many buyers do you think are on ThomasNet? I don't know, probably a million. It's actually 1.5 million. Nice, that was close. And they use Thomas to source suppliers just like you, man.
1: Yeah, they're looking for cutting tool suppliers like me, and also manufacturers like the Metalworking Nation. And I actually know a bit about Thomas, and one of the things I really like about it is the supplier analytics dashboard. You can see which companies are actively sourcing what you offer and gain insights into market demand, buyer intent, and comparative benchmarks, and much more.
2: And it's awesome that it's free to claim your profile. So you can make sure you're listed the right way, your company information is accurate, and the message that you're sharing with these buyers is exactly what you want them to see. You do this at thomasnet.com slash claim. But if you want an edge over all the free listings, you can consider a registered listing and we have a special Making Chips deal for our listeners.
1: Yeah. So let me tell you about that. Listeners of Making Chips get in 25% off the annual subscription with the code CHIPS25. C-H-I-P-S-2-5. Bam.
3: Talent is scarce. Experience even more so driving up costs and sleepless nights. You may even think to yourself, can I do this? But this new era brings new technology and a different perspective on your operations. What you will hear will turn on a light bulb in your mind so you can turn out the lights in your shop. Get ready to sleep soundly while your shop never stops. Get ready for Making Chips Lights Out with your hosts, Nick Golner and Jason Zanger.
1: Here we are. First yeah. episode of Lights Out. It's about time, man. And it's going to be big.
2: Yeah, we've been foreshadowing this for a while and glad it's here. Yeah. I'm excited. Just so maybe for those that haven't heard the foreshadowing, Lights Out is going to be a automation centered series of content that we're going to publish as podcast episodes and all for people who are trying to get that lights out state, dude. Yeah. So
1: I'm excited about it. Yeah.
2: Turn the lights off, make some money. And we are starting the inaugural episode with a great guest. But before we get into that,
1: how about some manufacturing news?
3: The global manufacturing industry is full of twists and turns, but what does it mean for you? The Making Chips hosts have hand-selected the latest news, and they're about to give you their perspective. No hot takes, no political garbage. Just commentary from the perspective of a manufacturing leader. This is MWMN, Metalworking Manufacturing News.
2: We were just talking about this, and the article I pulled is from the New York Times. The title is... Okay, Mexico, save me.
1: After China, this is where globalization may lead. That's so funny because I was on LinkedIn literally this morning and I just commented on somebody else's post that was talking about one guy lost a job to Mexico. Another guy was talking about setting up a shop in Mexico as a subsidiary.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'll dive into this, but the reason it's like near and dear to me right now is we're thinking a lot about Mexico. We're thinking a lot about Canada and we serve North America. And I think the challenges like it's easy to just get pigeonholed into the states and there's a lot going on north and south
1: of us. So that is definitely the next place that companies are looking to as they're shifting from China. We actually not to get political, but I believe that our relationship with Mexico has degraded a lot yeah during this administration that we're in right now, but we still have a great relationship with Mexico. I love Mexico. I go there like once a year. It has a place in my heart because my wife Amanda and I got married in Cabo. So yeah.
2: I got married I in the I Caribbean. I the dogs out. I got that engaged in Mexico.
1: Song. There you go. I got engaged there but I got married in the Dominican. All right, so tell us something good about Mexican manufacturing. Yeah,
2: so here's how the article starts. As American companies seek to limit their exposure to the pitfalls of making goods in China, some are moving their production to Mexico. During the first 10 months of last year, Mexico exported 382 billion of goods to the US, an increase of more than 20% over the same period in 2021. So that's what we're bringing in from Mexico. According to U.S. Census data, since 2019, American imports of Mexican goods have swelled by more than one-fourth. And in 2021, American investors put more money into Mexico, buying companies and financing projects than they did into China. And that's according to an analysis by the McKinsey Global Institute. So it continues to say, and I'm just like picking and choosing from the article, but... It continues to say that China will almost certainly remain a central component of manufacturing for years to come. Yeah, you can't just shift those things overnight. Yeah, but the shift toward Mexico represents a marginal reapportionment of the world's manufacturing capacity amid the recognition of all these volatile hazards. So like geopolitical realignments and the intensifying challenges of climate change. The quote that stood out to me is, this is not about deglobalization, said this guy named Michael Burns. What it's about is the next stage of globalization, and that next stage is focused on regional networks.
1: Well, I've been talking about this for years on I know. Making Chips. It's about near sourcing. So you've got, you're in sections. You've got North America, you've got South America, you've got Europe, you've got Asia, and you choose which components you're going to make in Mexico, which you're going to make in the United States, which you're going to make in Canada, and you have these like little regional strategy networks. centers. Networks, networks and, right. Yeah, absolutely. But, and
2: so it's like, we got too locked into so much coming from China and that was like where it came from. And now with everything that happened with COVID and everything that's happening with what's going on in Europe with Ukraine, it's like we need regional networks.
1: Yeah. And I didn't even mention two of the other ones that could be coming forward, which the biggest is probably Africa. Yeah. If you're talking about like lower costs and then the other one would be the Middle East, which I've got a good friend that lives in Turkey now and it's a huge manufacturing center there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into the episode. So our guest needs no introduction, but you're doing it, but we're going to do it anyway, because that's what we do. So he's equipped and inspired thousands and thousands of men and women to learn the machining trade with an innovative approach that challenges the status quo. He's built a massive audience on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram and more. He's leading a team of extremely talented machinists, programmers and manufacturing leaders on a mission to elevate the trade that has fueled one of the most inspirational success stories in the history of machining. Welcome back for the, I don't know, fourth or fifth time. Welcome back to the show. Titan Gilroy of Titans of CNC.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, and uh, thank it. you guys for coming down to Texas, man. Yeah. We're family. And we just broke bread together and I hung know, out it, with the team. <laughs> I know. Love having you guys
1: bread. around. We just broke bread. We terrified yeah. Nick. He yeah. had an anxiety We just went zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. And Nick wet himself. Yes. In the Plaid.
2: And oh, the man. The Tesla Plaid. It was a good time. So.
0: We could do launch mode and get it down to 1.9, though. Ooh. If
2: you put me in that car again, I'm going to freak out. Let's I'm going to have go.
0: Like a so. go. Yeah. <laughs> but it was
2: fun. I made a memory today. So,
1: so we're talking about automation today and I really would love to hear your perspective on it. Cause I mean, you're focused on CNC, but up until now it hasn't been the first thing in mind. You're about like machining parts. So let's talk about automation. How different is the technology as you've seen it progressed over the years and automation now as it was
0: before? I mean, the industry's running at such a pace. It's absolutely incredible. And that's one of the reasons that we do what we do. Because a lot of people, they want to automate. They want to bring jobs back to the U.S. or wherever they're from. They want to make their own parts and be in control of their own supply chain, which is just smart. So what we're doing is just creating videos and showing them exactly how to automate. Now, the principles of automation, if you go back to our regular academy we have a fixture series and that whole point on the series is hey let's get away from standard vices and actually instead of running two parts let's actually run a 100 parts on a fixture plate on a subplate have multiple and basically step away from the machine and allow it to run on its own and one person can run for machines. And so, right from the beginning, we're teaching the kids and the machinists the principles of automation. Let's do more with less. Okay. And how important do you think automation is? I mean, it's everything. It's everything. If you talk to people that don't understand manufacturing or they're in manufacturing, but they just haven't seen it on a high end, they'll truly believe that China can outcompete us, Mexico can outcompete us, everybody can outcompete us. And I'm strong on that. I'm like, hey, if you're in other countries, it's competition, make your own parts. But We can actually produce parts right here, cheaper, faster and better quality right here through having the right technology and understanding programming and fixturing and putting all the variables together and taking everything to a high level, even on the small parts, you can make parts cheaper here than other places. Yeah, so I think
2: the reason people think oh, we're not competitive is because our labor rates are probably higher. Exactly. So that's changing. But one, that's changing. And two, you're bringing up things like programming and fixturing and you're connecting them to automation. And really, that's what they are, right?
0: Well, you're talking about lights out. I yeah. just heard you guys talking about lights out. And that's the whole focus here. It's like keep your parts running, do more parts in your shop, be at home with your family while your machines run automated and with the new digital solutions that are coming out, you can literally be on your phone and you can monitor your machines. It'll tell you when there's a problem. It'll inspect tools for damage. And you can totally automate and it's easy. And that's what we're here to show you yeah, how to so do it.
2: So CNC in itself is automating what was a manual process. And exactly. fixturing has elements of automation to it so you can do more with less, right? But when people think of automation, they think about robots. And some of that's really legit. Like it's really good stuff. Robots loading and unloading machines or loading and unloading work pieces. So have you added elements of like most people think about with automation to your curriculum over time?
0: Well, not necessarily to the curriculum, but we actually had multiple FANUC robots and we basically did tutorials on how to set up for a robot, how to program. It's a different type of programming because you have to machine in a way that you don't have stringy chips. You don't have buildup. You don't waste tools. It might be a little bit slower, but because it's 24 seven, it just runs automated. And we mostly did that on YouTube and just like specialized videos just to show people how to do it. On the curriculum side, we're focused more on the CNC machining, the fixturing, and like on the hellers. Now we got the hellers. So yeah. like, now we're bringing in full automation tombstones, which is like a robot, except, I mean, it is a robot. Yeah. The, the tombstone system is actually bringing in kind of like a pallet pool. Yeah. Right. It's bringing in the pallets right into the machine and runs them on automatic based on your schedule. So you said you can't have
2: stringy chips. Let's deep dive into that. Yeah,
0: so you're teaching principles of machining that will allow
1: companies yeah, to Yeah, maybe automate. you
2: could have stringy chips if you were right in front of the machine and you had a person who could clear them off before the next job or whatever. But those are certain considerations you have to make when you know nobody's going to be there.
0: Absolutely. Right? Programming is everything. You have end mills with chip splitters that make small chips. Yeah. End mills that don't have it, that make long chips. You have drills They're kind of old school and less expensive. You have to keep pecking to try to break the chip. And sometimes they don't even break where you have other ones like the go drill or different high end tools where they break tiny little chips and they just come out with the coolant and they flush away. They don't even get caught in the vice. So you have to understand like how big the chips are and how to get the coolant to just flush them out
1: what about mindset? One of the big misconceptions in our industry is the robots are going to replace the people. Do you see that happening? Is there any advice that you would give to somebody who's in our industry, somebody that you would be speaking to through Titans of CNC to be like, no, don't be afraid of the robots. Like, What would you tell that person?
0: Everybody's scared of robots and AI is a new thing, yeah, right?
1: That's another subject. I'm replacing Nick with AI, <laughs> <when> I'm working <laughs> on it.
0: But at the end of the day, our minds are the best and AI is going to get strong and all of that I think when you look at machinists, a lot of them are scared of robots and they're going to take away our jobs and do different things. But you have a mindset for technology, a mindset for lean, for lights out and the principles that come with it. You'll understand that that is the best thing that a shop can actually do. And I actually believe that as we bring more jobs back to the US, which we will, you'll actually have more shops. They won't have as many people per shop unless they increase their production and the amount of parts that they're doing. But where a shop used to have 100 people, you might have 30 people, but those 30 people run robots and automation and design and their strategy and all of it. So they get paid more and they produce more, Bingo. right? Bingo. So instead of having 100 shops with 100 people, you'll have 10,000 shops with 30. The sum of all is greater than... With the automation. Yeah, I
1: kind of see it like you were just talking about cutting tools, and I think you can make an analogy between the people and the cutting tools. So you've got cutting tools with different characteristic, different chip breakers, different geometries where it's a higher end tool. You're going to have a higher-end person in the shop who understands exactly. the robotics and the automation and the programming and the higher-end tool everything.
2: will cost more, just like the higher-end person would cost more. Right. But the result, the value from that tool, from that person is exponential.
0: Well, one of the principles that we started the foundation on was we incorporated engineering from the beginning. Everybody who does the titans of CNC parts, the academy parts, we teach you on SolidWorks how to design the part so you know it intimately. Then we show you how to program it and run it. And that is in the future, great machinists, they're engineers also. You're a machinist, you're an engineer, you're a leader, you're all wrapped up. If you talk to all of my guys, they run many different machines. They have many different hats and we love it like that. You know what I mean? So I just think that you're more valuable, you're more skilled, you're on a higher level. Yeah, you run an army of robots and you make good money for your family. Yeah, there
1: you go. Going back to that whole like notion of production, I think one of the best kind of metrics that a shop owner could look at in like, any kind of business is what kind of profit are you producing per person? And I think you have to be pushing that up in order to benefit your shop, in order to teach them more, in order to make sure that you're continuing to bring that automation at a high level. I've heard so, of
2: that revenue for employee as a KPI, yeah. but you're bringing it down to profit too. Yeah. And that's awesome because you can make a ton of money, you can make a ton of revenue, but if you have a bunch of inefficient people, your costs are going to be high too. And at the end of the day, like we're for-profit businesses. Yep.
0: You think automation, you think robots. And then we just talked about Heller and the tombstones and how that runs automatic. If you go to Detroit Diesel, you go to Caterpillar, you have a hundred Hellers in a row with the pallets being automatically loaded. It's all robotics. It's all automation. And it runs, lights out twenty four seven for decades. The same thing with Lays. Just because it's not a robot, a bar feeder is still automation. That's automation. Yeah, no doubt. And we just got in an eight you guys just saw it like we literally just took it off the truck but a multi-swiss with eight different spindles that all run at the exact same time which is five times as efficient and it just drops off parts in seconds boom 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 and it shows that even the small parts a lot of people say you can bring back some jobs but you can't bring back the small parts but with like swiss technology i believe bring the technology in so you can hire people in the u.s so you can actually make the small parts and you have the right technology you can make them all and you can and do that's do going cheaper. from a
2: Swiss machine to a Swiss machine gun, because that thing's dropping, <laughs> ba, 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 dropping parts like crazy. It's
1: yeah. awesome. Hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. As a wholesale distributor of metalworking products, I have relied on NetSuite by Oracle for my ERP system, and they have just rolled out the best offer we have ever seen. A couple things about NetSuite. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to make better decisions faster. And for the first time in NetSuite's 22 years as the number one cloud financial system, you can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. That's no payment and no interest for six months. And you can take advantage of this special financing offer today. NetSuite is number one because they give your business everything you need in real time all in one place, to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity across every department. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make a switch, then you know this deal is unprecedented no interest, no payments. Take advantage of the special financing offer at netsuite.com slash chips, C-H-I-P-S, netsuite.com slash chips to get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm, netsuite.com slash chips. All the clients that I have that are making Swiss parts, I mean, they are so busy, and their growth year over year crazy. is just—it's. I crazy. mean, medical is just through. Yeah, the roof. it's and through and
0: the Swiss even in like aerospace now, and as yeah. it grows, it's yeah. crazy.
1: I always tell my clients, like I sell automation too, so we're a tooling distributor. So when we install a vending machine in our client's shop floor. That's automation. We're automating the tool crib attendant. We're sure. automating the data collection. Right. I mean, automation is everywhere. Like but you know, let's absolutely. get back
2: into my world here for a second. Oh, there you go. Nick. My world: yeah. tombstones, horizontals. And let's talk about how to get the most out of a multi pallet system, like what you've got going on with the Hellers. So how many pallets are going to be on that Heller Horizontal? So we'll have
0: two on the machine, and then we'll have 12 on the outside. In the pallet pool. Exactly.
2: So like people associate that with, oh, I don't need that because I don't do high-volume jobs. And then all the manufacturing leaders that I respect the most, they don't think of it as one job per tombstone or one job per machine. They think about like, what kind of real estate do I have and how can I maximize all that real estate? And just maybe you're running three different jobs on one face of the tombstone and you got this many pallets and whatever else. So what type of skills and people does a manufacturing leader need keep that thing running lights out, even if it's not high volume job, like where it's the same thing over and over again.
0: Well, I think that it's a mindset. And it's what I said when I was like, hey, I'm teaching the young machinists and all machinists, like fixturing, like fixturing is everything. And it transcends that you can have a million machinists, but each one will be different and their skill level will be different based on how they comprehend all the variables in machining, their levels and their ability to fixture. Right, so when you guys like, I use Amrock Tombstones, man. You guys are built on the rock, right? Give you a plug (laughs) right there. But you guys are awesome. He knows the tech. But at the end of the day you fixture parts to that tombstone when we were running spacex parts we started off with four parts then it went to 12 parts and it's 12 parts every six months then it was like 24 then 48 and you keep going up but you're making the same exact part and you're setting up like if the part takes seven hours to run and it has 80 hours of setup because they're trick and at that time we weren't running like we didn't have a lot of five axis machines and stuff so so you know, doing
2: op one, op two, op three, and yeah, different faces. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, on these machines, now a lot of them, like the Hellers, they're actually five axis. So, you can actually set them up. You can run everything basically in two operations, and you just set them up and you dedicate a tombstone to it or a fixture that can get attached to the tombstone. And then, all your parts, you just set up each tombstone for the parts, and basically, and then you change your programming mindset to instead of running like all these different tools per part and everything's different, you actually build a library of what your standard tools are for standard materials and you program off of that. And then you just schedule it and then every time that you run those 72 parts or even if it's four parts, or eight parts, and they're complex. You basically just put the material in, you never have to set up again, and that's how you drop your costs, and that's how you build crazy relationships with these big companies, because when you can bring those part costs down because you did it right, they're never going to take that work away from you. Right. So you're
2: making sure that your machine with its pallet system, if you have one, is totally equipped for a variety of jobs. It's got all the tools, it's got all the programs ready for it. And then you're probably the complex ones that you need to pay attention to. You're probably running those during the day when you got somebody there. And then everything else, you're just making sure you're set up to turn the
0: lights out. Absolutely. You look at uh, aerospace, like we have a series on tube fittings, tube fittings throughout all industries is huge, right? But especially aerospace for the like the Merlin engine and the B3 engine and stuff. There's so many different little tube fittings, little weldments, and they have maybe like three or four little pipes popping out and stuff. And they're all different sizes. But at the same time, when I rough it, it's going to be the same tool. When I do everything except the drilling or the boring, it'll be the same exact tool. So I'll just load up the magazine. I mean, the magazine, now you're dealing with 120, 300, like huge amount of tools. So I'll just have like multiple of the same end mill. And every time I run any part, like if it's 316, 304, whatever steel, anytime I run anything remotely similar, that's my go-to and I use tool one. Sure. every single job that I run and it's just systematic and you always program from that and then you have some other pockets where then you throw in specialty items for whatever and it's just completely automated. You cannot beat it, period. One of the dangers of true lights-out manufacturing is if the lights are off, nobody's there.
1: And there's issues that can happen in the middle of the night. You can break a tool. You just talked about chip buildup. And if that doesn't happen, you're going to have a problem. So how do you mitigate those risks of not having someone there
0: during those lights-out operations? So the machines now are so sophisticated. And you have lasers on them where you actually can bring up at any time in your program, even before it runs, you can actually bring in probes. You can check the whole holes that previously were machined to make sure they're actually there and to tolerance. Like if you're going to bring in a finishing tool, let's make sure that the pockets are there.
1: Yeah. Because the only thing worse than making a bad part is making hundred bad exactly. parts.
0: <laughs> right. You can probe it, but you also can, at the end of a cycle, you can take the tool and hit a laser and double check it and make sure that it's still there. Right? Yep. So there's different inspections you can do, and then it will signal you can have it stop, but a lot of like now with all the digital solutions that are coming out, they'll actually ping your phone and say, "Hey, tool four is having a problem." But high-end machines and these machines—they have tool management. So what you do is you realize how many parts you can get with one tool. Like if I right. know I can get a hundred parts with this Core Five end mill, I'll program it for seventy. Right. Right. And then I'll have that same tool in four pockets right next to each other or six pockets, depending. And then after 70 tools, I'll just program it so that it calls up tool two and run it as one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got redundant tools. So
2: like if one breaks, you're fine. Exactly. Because I think a lot of people's fear is like, yeah, it was supposed to be lights out. It ran for two hours, something went wrong. And I showed up the next day and I didn't have all these
1: perfect parts to harvest. Yeah. Meanwhile, you promised your client that you're going to ship it out that day. So yeah. So there's ways to mitigate that.
0: Those are like hard, guaranteed ways to actually know if you have a problem. And to stop the machine if you you know need to stop it and stuff. But through experience, you learn all these different things. Cameras are easy, yeah. you know what I mean? Like cameras are easy too. So you can also just, of course, I advise everybody just set up awesome cameras and just have them right on your phone. You know what I mean? And yeah. you can just look into the machine. You can look at everything at anytime you want, just for peace of mind, even if you weren't signaled.
2: You might not have this crazy high-end machine that does all the tool breakage detection and has all the redundant tool management. You could just throw some cameras in there. Pay attention to the cameras. Like, you'll know if it stops. Of course, you probably would have to go in there and, like, make sure it keeps going. But you don't need the best possible machine tool with all the latest technology to get to a more
0: lights-out state. Yeah, there's different levels, right? So tool management, even when I was running Haas, they have tool management. So most machines have tool management. When it gets to like probing and lasers and all of those different things, that's where it's gonna separate and you're gonna have the premium machines that they're just built for it. Yeah. But there's ways to get around it. There's ways to automate and do it. And and some shops, you don't have to just think like, oh, I'm gonna run 24 seven lights out. You can start figuring out how to fixture like 30 parts that you actually press, the start button and you leave and they run all night while you're at home. Right. You know what I mean? And it doesn't run, doesn't keep running and you have confidence, you have new tools or whatever. And you actually, so I mean, that's, small, what that's why mom the, and pops can do it too.
2: That's why the Amrock group evolved from being just tombstones and, fixtures to like, now we're supporting machining automation. That's like a big part of why we did it because we had to do it. It's all the same problem that it solves. So
0: when I look at bringing jobs back to the United States, I believe that of course I'm a big believer and I know that it's possible and I've seen it a million different times and stuff, but people, they just can't comprehend it. You know what I mean? So having companies like you guys building the tombstones, having the machine technology and everything, it's important for people to understand like we can do it right now.
1: So speaking of comprehending it, do you believe that if somebody is not getting behind automation and not implementing that in their shop, that it's going to be like, kind of like what if people chose not to go into CNC machining yeah, great question. 30 years ago, are they going to be left behind? Are they going to become obsolete in the future?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Sometimes you have your own product and you can dictate your own price. So how you run it, it can be an expensive price, but hey, If people love it and they accept it, then you're good. But if you're in a competitive market, you know, and you're competing against other shops or you're an OEM and you need to like keep your prices down, if you're not thinking automation, you're not always looking for the new ways to program and the new ways, new tools, all of it, then you will be left behind because people are just going to be better, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, I mentioned before about selling supplies through vending machines and we weren't first to market in our geography with those vending systems. But I got behind it eventually. And now it's over 50% of our business. And I just think to myself, like, if
0: I had never done that, where would I be? be I would not be in the same position. Stanley
2: Black & Decker tools over the counter. Yeah, Exactly. Well,
1: (laughs) we'd be gone.
0: I can give you a plug right there too, because there are like certain shops that love it and certain shops that don't. But if you have your own product and you understand how to standardize tools, so you don't buy a ton of tools, you buy the right tools that can run all materials so you're not buying it's just select tools and they just run why wouldn't you put it in a vending system and never have to worry about it people don't have time they don't want to read they don't want to think they want it when they want it and they want it now and anytime you got to pick up the phone to order something like it's just you don't need it yeah
1: absolutely i mean you talk about like e-commerce but this is even quicker
0: yeah yeah so
2: you um, have this great curriculum. You've changed the industry with it and you keep adding more to it and getting, every time we come visit your shop, there's more machines here and we're excited to see this pallet system come. So what's next for Titans of CNC as it relates to what we're talking about today and automation and and that type of mindset?
0: Well, I think that one thing is I don't forget the kids, right? I want to bring awareness. I want to make sexy videos and crank on material and But then get them inspired on YouTube and give them knowledge, but then lead them to the academy so they can actually learn the trade. So we're teaching on that level. We brought in the grinding machines and then we just brought in even higher end grinding machines with the new core panels and those things are amazing. Uh, we got the Hellers, we got the Swiss machines. This in the last six months, I think people have seen that we've really taken, although we still teach on all levels, we've really taken a move into the automation segment because I believe that there are so many different companies that are struggling because of the supply chain and they want to bring work back, but they just don't know how. I did a video a while back. And I just was explaining that everything I've ever done is all about solving people's problems. You solve people's problems, you're going to be successful. So it's like, okay, we're going into somewhat of a recession or we've been in a recession. People are scared. Okay. What's the opportunity right now? How do you solve people's problems? They can't actually find, they can't get their parts from overseas. So figure out a solution automate the solution, sell it to the customer on how a non-reoccurring charge like, hey, we're going to purchase these. And because we purchased these tools and this system, we're going to actually make your parts. And here, instead of paying $30, you're paying $10 and you never have to pay this fee again. And we can make it so you never have to order parts from another country and stuff like figure out how you can solve your customers problems to actually have consistency of work and I like to say, dig your roots into the company so they will never leave you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could quote the job that they put in front of you and you could solve that or you could think about what's deeper than that, what's a step further and how do I make it so like they can't live without me.
0: Look into what they're outsourcing. Everybody who outsources has their issues. I mean, they have to fly over there You got quality issues and not everyone, but some people are like pretty dialed and stuff, but always look for ways that you can improve somebody's process and solve their problems. And even if they don't know they have a problem, they might have not even thought it was possible, but then you bring a solution and that's what I was good at. And that's why my business grew so fast was I was all about like connecting myself with the right company that have the right problems and then solving those problems.
2: One area where we learn a lot about how to solve all the problems in the industry is these big trade shows like IMTS and Emo. So Jason and I are going to enjoy some time out there, but are you nice. going to be out there? Are you Going gonna, back are to we gonna Germany. Yeah. yeah, there we
0: go. Back yeah. to our
2: roots. The Zengers and the Golner Roots. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah. Are you going to be out there? We have some partners that are going to be over there at Emo. I love Germany. I love Europe. I love that through social media, you can talk to people all over the world. And especially in machining, like you are all family. You all go to work. You come, you want the same things in life. So I just, I love going overseas. That's great. And I'll be there at Emo. So I'll see you guys, man. Yeah. Do you That's see
1: automation in Europe different? than the United States? Are they farther ahead, farther behind? How do you see that there?
0: I see that there are great companies in Europe and all throughout the world and Japan and all over, and there are great companies in the US. The problem with it is that they close their doors and they don't show it to people. You can go to Michigan, you can go to California, you can go to Texas, you can go all over the place. And there are amazing shops that are making amazing products. I mean, SpaceX is building rockets, you know what I mean? Like they're going up to space all the time now, Blue Origin, all these different companies. They're they're saying like EVs are taking over, but they're still making a ton of cars with engines and stuff and they do it well but they don't show the public. Yeah. So so. I think there's great manufacturing everywhere, but we're in a deficit because our leaders don't respect manufacturing and because they don't respect manufacturing. And there's nobody on the news that are like showcasing manufacturing because it doesn't have the drama. It's not sexy. They can't like get views off it. And it's sad to say. So parents and kids and everybody, they don't. Think about man. Yeah, we the don't have chart. drama. We're just sitting exactly. here getting things done. Exactly. Without things. You're changing money.
1: that, and we appreciate that. Yeah, thank you're bringing you. a little bit of drama. Definitely the sexiness. Oh man, and getting the views. So yeah. and the heart. But you know so what I say all the that. time.
2: I say that I always make this connection between Europe and the U.S. So in Europe, a lot of the best technology that we have here, like the Hellers, for example, it starts yeah. over there, right? Some amazing technology starts over there, but they don't tell the story that well. Well, What Americans are pretty dang good at is the media side, the telling the story, the getting the views, the getting it out. And so I think they want to learn kind of the media side from us they always joke and call me Hollywood when i'm doing the podcast my partners in germany they're like oh he's hollywood
0: you were kind of like hollywood in the backseat of my car the other day (laughs) that could sound weird but we were just driving fast (laughs) and you were like squirming a little bit but you know so
2: scared (laughs) but yeah it's like we could probably learn from each other they've got unreal technology and they've got some unbelievable shops and i've got a partner in switzerland who always makes the joke he's like we want to be with our families. He's like, we're too lazy to be stupid. So of course we automate everything. And it's like, yeah, but no one knows your product because you got to share more stuff. So
0: I've been fortunate to go through some amazing shops over there and throughout Europe, throughout are amazing shops, but there are also amazing shops right here in the United States. We just need to show them to the public right. and show people that manufacturing is important. And something I know that you guys both being from Chicago, I know something. I get into the tough questions. Like if you have all of this inner city Permoil, and you go to IMTS, and there's hundred thousand people, one hundred thirty thousand people in manufacturing. And if you look at African Americans, and you literally see maybe five out of a hundred thousand, like, why is the government, or why are we not like teaching that? You know yeah. what I mean? Yes, yeah. yeah. right. Sell exactly. out all your yes. jobs. You don't respect it. You sell them all out, and then you're like giving welfare to people that could have had great jobs because you don't have to go to college to be in this industry.
1: Teach them to be machinists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Same thing with autism. The government will pay you, like my youngest son, they'll pay us to actually babysit our son. Right. And for life... You know what I mean? Like, it's a scary thing because once you die, like, who's going to take care of your kid? We incentivize the wrong things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. whereas CNC machining is amazing for autistic kids, autistic people, because you actually thrive in it. You get confidence through, like, actual production, and you're dealing with a computer and not people, and that's what... Yeah, you don't repetition. call it disabled. You call it uniquely able. Uniquely able. That's a go. great program, by the way. But that's what I'm talking about when I say like everybody wants to talk a good game and talk about jobs coming back and talk about the importance, but they don't actually do anything about it. So we are just stepping up to do something about it. And that's why I like you guys, too, because you guys talk about the tough issues.
2: Yeah. So shout out to Andrew Crow, who's very focused on bringing that diversity into the business, into the trade. And to your point, like a lot of times people say hey, you don't have to go to college to get into manufacturing. You don't. If the classroom isn't for you, that's great. You can find success in this trade. You also can find success in this trade through academia. There's a lot of smart kids are getting an engineering degree and then they want to go work on something else. They don't think machining is a place where they're going to make a great career. So it's for everybody.
1: But they do stuff related to machining. So like machining, you can go from GED to PhD. I mean, you really right, can. I mean, right. we got our There's friend Tony Schmidt who's- PhD in machining. And then we've got somebody that could be a programmer with a GED. I mean, it it doesn't matter. There's a spot for
0: everyone. Exactly. I talk to people all the time and I'm like, I had no money. I had no future. There was like no life. I never even knew what machining was. And like, it was just depressing. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to get a job at Home Depot when I'm like 25 years old and I couldn't get a job there. But then I walked into a machine shop for $9 an hour and my head clicked and it was something that I was good at. I was like, if I actually straighten myself up, stop all the stupid stuff, and I actually put work in, I will actually do well and I can actually make 12, 13, 20, 25. And you know what? When I went to SpaceX, they didn't care that I was incarcerated when I was 22 years old. They didn't care that I didn't have an education. I told them I could run Inconel and Monel parts and 6 Al 4 b parts faster and cheaper than anybody else and to print and I would drive down at two in the morning to deliver those parts on a Saturday. I didn't care, I hustled and that's what they care about. And that's what I care about. Somebody comes in and they give me the stuff and they say, hey, I will come in, I will put the time in, I will like do classes online, I'll do all of it. Like I'm all about that person. That's the
1: dream, you're yeah. living it. And you made such a transformation from that time I mean, yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. And if you haven't heard that story, we do have a previous episode with Titan where you could hear the entire yeah. inspiring story. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you
2: think of when I say the word setups? You're not making
1: chips <laughs>
2: yeah, and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer.
1: Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from Pro Shop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process.
2: Yeah. So it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the lean setup guide.
1: Bam. Well, Titan, thank you for talking to us about automation. Awesome. I certainly learned a lot. I mean, Nick, if I were to summarize it, automation is everywhere and you got to grasp exactly. it.
2: Exactly. And you don't have to buy the most expensive, highest end equipment to start thinking and operating with an automation mindset. Absolutely.
0: Yep. Yep. You can do it in your garage. Right. Yep. You yep. got cool. it.
2: Well, if you're not automating, you're not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We got the bam and the boom.